Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, um, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, where we continue to look at some of the post-resurrection stories. And um, hear these words. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to the hands of sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And then he went home amazed at what had happened. May God grant us understanding of these words this day. You know, it's often complicated to preach a sermon on Mother's Day. I know that not all people have a good relationship with their mothers. And I also know that, that some, some women have a difficulty if they're, if they're unable to have children or if they choose not to have children. I have this wonderful colleague. She's a professor at um, the uh, seminary where I'm getting my doctorate. Her name is Lisa Davison. And she has written a book called um, More Than a Womb. And, it, and her book is specifically talks about the Hebrew scripture. She's a, 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 an expert in Hebrew scripture. And it talks about the place of motherhood or, or singlehood or whatever you want to call it, in the Hebrew Bible. And it's a fascinating book. So if you're interested in looking at that, um, check with me and I can give you the title when you have something to write it down. It's a fascinating book. I was um, uh, a student under her when she was doing the research for this book, and it's just pretty amazing. And so as I approach this day, you know, I'm aware of the roles that I carry. You know, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a grandmother, I'm a sister, I'm a friend. I'm all of those things, and not one of those things defines who I am. Today, though, I want to talk a little bit about my mother before we jump into the scripture. So two things we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about my mother and the culture that she grew up in, and then we're going to look at the history of this Mother's Day thing, which is fascinating. And then we'll, we'll jump into to talking specifically about the scripture. My mother is almost 94 years old. She'll be 94 on June 5th. Um, 
And, you know, I adore my mom. Um, we're friends, but it wasn't always that way. I remember the real rebellious years of teenage and young adult where my mom could not say anything right. And we had a really rough relationship. And so that, that time of mom and I being friends happened after I grew up. Um, and so I'm very privileged to have that. But I know, it, you know, now when mom looks back, she doesn't remember those years quite so much, but I do. And sometimes I was horrible. I'll be really honest there. Well, my mom grew up in a time with um, some amazing and some really difficult things. My mom was born in 1928. Now, you think about that date. We're looking at the Great Depression. She grew up in the Midwest in Kansas where the Dust Bowl was a big thing. And in fact, my grandfather lost the farm twice in that Dust Bowl. They lost the farm, they moved, they lost it again, and eventually ended up in Colorado and then Montana. But mom lived in that time. She also lived in a time when um, having children was dangerous. My uh, grandmother had another child, a, a girl, born when my mom was like five, and uh, grandmother had a horrible time, and the baby was born but didn't live long. And so my mom remembers at that time. And the fact that my, my grandmother was an invalid for a few years after that. My mom's uh, brother wasn't born until my mom was 16. And her sister wasn't born until my mom was 18. My mom lived in a time where in the small town in Montana, they didn't have a high school. So she had to board out uh, from a place about 60 miles away um, to go to high school. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been able to finish high school. So she went and she boarded with this lady and did kind of the housework to, to pay for her keep. And so mom did that. She graduated from high school. She married my birth dad. And um, before they were married, he served in World War II. And they had two small children at at the time that he got drafted to go to Korea. So she was a, a married woman with two young children. We're talking, the boys were probably like three and two, they're only a year apart. So she had these littles that she had to take care of. And um, what she tells is that oftentimes in the military, the money didn't come in very well for the families. So she lived, she lived through that time. Um, she, she was married to my birth dad who, um, although they had some good years, my birth dad was an abusive alcoholic. But think about for a minute, women in that age, they didn't have a whole lot of choices. They stayed married because the alternative was that they had nothing. And so, um, but when I was about seven, um, due to some crazy circumstances, my birth dad left her, and in order to get on public assistance, my mom had to divorce him. So we're talking late 60s. And at that time, a divorced woman 
was not seen very well in society or in the church. I have a memory of the pastor asking my mom not to teach Sunday school because she was divorced. Okay, so she lived, she lived through that. And she raised us alone for a while. And then she met, well, she knew my stepdad, the one I call dad now. But she was 41 and he was 21 when they got together. He'd already been in the Navy for four years at that point. So again, a town scandal. Not only was she a divorced woman, she was with this younger guy. And she had kids. So mom had to, to live through that. You know, the funny part of it is now... I think people know my mom's a little older, but I don't think they have any idea. Um, they had family that, that threatened to disown them because they were together. And so she lived through all of these things because in that culture at that time, there weren't a lot of choices. And she, when I was in high school or middle school, I guess, she went and got her LPN. Um, she worked all the time. I was growing up as a nurse. She got her LPN. And um, eventually, uh, you know, retired kind of, I'm not sure mom ever retired, but retired from that and, and worked with big brothers and sisters. She, um, she's been president of the thrift center in town for 35 years. And she does all of this stuff. She is losing her eyesight. And, um, but you know, you can find her out in the garden working on her things. So this is, this is my legacy was from a woman who was really strong and who wasn't afraid to push against the stereotypes of that time. That's my legacy. That's the reason that in some ways I became a pastor because mom told me I could, even though it wasn't always easy to be a pastor. Um, you know, mom did things like working, cleaning motel rooms for $1.25 an hour when I was growing up. And, and things like that, that, you know, really made her um, the person that she is and therefore made me the person that I am. So that's, that's kind of the legacy. And my grandmother was a strong woman and my aunt is a strong woman and all of those, all of those people. Um, so I honor my mom today knowing full well that it's messy. Knowing full well that the idea of, of Mother's Day is messy. I honor my mom. And I appreciate the fact that I am a mom and that I am a grandmother and all of those other things, but it's not all that I am any more than any one role is all that you are. So as we come into this Mother's Day thing, I did some research to find out how did Mother's Day come to be in the very, very first thing. It's such a fascinating story. Um, if you Google the history of Mother's Day, the internet will tell you that Mother's Day began in 1908 when um, Anna Jarvis decided to honor her mother. But that is not exactly true. Um, there's more to the story than that. Mother's Day, with the apostrophe after the S, um, actually started in the 1870s uh, with the, when the sheer enormity of the, the death toll 
caused by the Civil War and the Franco-Persian War convinced American women that women must control, take control of the politics um, to prevent such things from happening again. Mother's Day was a movement for peace. And it wasn't and it wasn't for one side of the issues or the other. It was a movement for peace. It wasn't designed as a day for us to be nice to our moms. That's not a bad thing, but that's not what it began as. It was, there were some women who believed that women had the ability to change the world, to change society's norms. You know, these are women who watch their men march off to war and many of them not come back or come back completely and utterly changed. These were women who believed in empowering other women. After the wars, Women, you know, were in this place where they had, during wartime, bought bonds, paid taxes, raised money for the war effort, managed farms, harvested fields, worked in the war industries, reared children and nursed soldiers. And they in had every intention to continue that when the war ended. However, there's this little thing called the 14th Amendment which established um, African-American men as citizens, but said nothing about these women. And so Anne Jarvis and others like her launched the women's suffrage movement to try to get women the right to speak out on political issues. Again, Mother's Day wasn't about fluffy, bouquets of flowers, but it was about empowering women to change the world. I don't know if that blows your mind as much as it does mine, but you know, I think in our modern commercial world where, what is it, Fred Meyer puts their Mother's Day things out months before it's time, it, I think it's really important to acknowledge that that's not what it started. That was not the intent. The intent was for empowerment and changing the world for the better. Wow. So this, this is where it started. It went along. Um, and then another woman, uh, Julia Ward Howe, um, kind of coined the phrase women's peace movement and um, and then you know we began to go from there so it was a peace movement to change the world for the better pretty amazing I think so while the world out there celebrates Mother's Day in this commercialized way, I'd really like us to look at it a little bit differently today. To look at it, um, 
thinking about the women's voices that have influenced our lives, to think about the women that were part of the, the Jesus world that made a difference in what was done there. And that's where our scripture comes in. In preparation for this, I, I began to think about um, the women that have influenced my life outside of my mother and my grandmother, so outside of my family. Um, you know, and some, some are traditional women, and some are those who identify as women. And when I look at them, I need to name a few. There's, there's Dolores Kimsey, who was a Disciples of Christ pastor, who when I was thinking about someday becoming a pastor, I was busy raising my kids, Dolores said, don't wait too long. My biggest regret is that I waited too long, and I only had a small portion of my life to serve God in this way. Dolores was an amazing woman. I think of Dolores. So I also think about my friend Delphine. Some of you have heard me mention her. She is this cheerleader beyond cheerleader. She has a, a health issue that doesn't allow her to be vaccinated. And in this time of separation, this time of where it's not safe for her to be out, this woman writes a blog. Now we're talking 80, well, I don't want to say 80, how many, because I may get it wrong and then I'd be in trouble she listens to me. She watches our, our service. Delphine writes this blog in which she tells about her day and she talks about things like what did she, where did she see God in, in this day? How did she see light? Delphine inspires me. And she's just this tiny little petite woman who wears matching clothes and hats. It's just, you would love her on sight. There's those that I know that work diligently um, for justice around LGBTQ+. I'm thinking of Robin at Portland First. Some of you may know her. I'm thinking of like the pastor. I was telling um, Stephen, there's a pastor at Galileo Church in um, Fort Worth, Texas, who is a forerunner in inclus inclusion or the pastors of the Womanist Church in Dallas that, that are African-American women who speak out about injustice every day. Um, it's pretty amazing. I think that in light of the happenings of this last week, the, the Supreme Court stuff, that we must acknowledge women's voices count. And I know that it's a dividing issue, and I know that, that it's hard for everybody, but I think that, that the way in which we can move forward is to honor everybody. Everybody. And so, um, so I acknowledge right off, this day has joys and it has sorrows. The thing that I didn't say about my mom in the time that I was talking with her is that she's buried three sons and one granddaughter. Sorrow happens this day. And I want to acknowledge that even as 
we celebrate. So as we continue through the post-resurrection stories, you know, some years I've done maybe one or two stories and, you know, and then move on from Easter. This year we're looking at them all, or many of them, and, um, and I'm just fascinated what we find in them. So we'll continue our journey. One of the things to acknowledge, though, in all the resurrection stories, there's three things in common. The discovery of the empty tomb early in the morning. Mary Magdalene is present at the tomb. And the tomb is found empty. Those are the three things that are held in common of the post-resurrection stories. But in the case of Luke, um, it's a little bit different because Luke names the women. And the women play a very, a very central part in the story. In uh, verse 10, it's now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them. There are three are, three are named and some are not. But it would seem to me that there's at least probably five women present in this, and maybe even more. Um, and the women in that culture, um, uh, I don't know how to put it any other way, they did women's work, and women's work was anointing the bodies. That was what, of the, what they did. That was part of their um, their their tasks in front of them. And so these women got up really early in the morning, actually as soon as they were allowed to come out of their Sabbath and went to the tomb, bringing the oils and spices to do for Jesus what was their custom to do. Did you notice, though, in the scripture, so the women go, they see the angel, Angels, men, it really depends how you look at the Greek, what they actually were. They see them, they, they hear the story, they leave from there, they go to the, the disciples and they tell them what's going on. And, and what are we told about that? It seemed like a wild tale. Now, I don't know about you, but I keep going back in my mind, Jesus told them this would happen. And so when the women confirm that this has happened, they go back to the disciples, why would it be a wild tale? Something to ponder. Something to ponder. So in this story... The women didn't actually see Jesus at the, at the tomb. They saw these two messengers. They heard a message that he was raised from the dead. They believed the message, and they went to proclaim it to the 11 and all the other followers. So they went there. They saw he wasn't there. They heard the message. They believed the message, and then they went. We're talking, these are the first evangelists. They really are. 
And yet, and yet, their voices weren't believed. Something to think about. So then what comes into my mind is this question, why the women, why were they chosen? Was it because this was the the way it worked in that society? The women were the first to go there because the men wouldn't have been doing the work? Is it because they had a particular role in Jesus' ministry? Or was it because they believed? Or was it something part of all three? Here's the thing I know about about the women. You know, when you look at the resurrection stories, you look at the the stories of Jesus' trial and his death and going into the tomb, one of the things apparent, the women never left him. When you think about it, when you look at who was at the foot of the cross, it was his mother. Mary Magdalene is often mentioned in that story. The women were there. They were with Jesus in his ministry in life. They were with him in that horrible Holy Week. They're with him in the resurrection. This tells me that these women were important. It tells me that they were important. They were important to the story as the first witnesses of the resurrection, as the evangelists. But what do we know particularly about the women who were part of this whole story? Um, It's likely that Mary of Bethany was one of those women. Um, And Mary of Bethany was the one that anointed Christ with a priceless perfume. Mary of Nazareth, of course, was the mother of Jesus. Um, Often, rather than being specifically named as Mary, it's usually the mother of our Lord. She's named in the scripture... um, She watched Jesus draw his first breath, bravely watched him breathe his last. In her mid-40s, she would have been a widow. And she could not leave him, and she stayed by his side. Mary Magdalene witnessed his resurrection and proclaimed the good news to his disciples. We're told that she was free from uh, demonic possession, um, and she was first to see the risen Christ. Salome supported the ministry of Jesus. She was courageous. She joined the women at the cross. She was there to anoint the body that morning, and she was the mother of James and John. And we're told there were other women, which we don't necessarily have their names, but we can see them. Can you see them on that morning? They gathered the myrrh and 
other ingredients to do what needed to be done. They were up at dawn. They were headed that way. These, this was not their first instance. We're told in, um, earlier in Luke's gospel that they had been with Jesus in Galilee. In everything that I read about Jesus, I find that he respected women. I find that he respected humans. I find that he empowered people to speak their truth. I'm not sure what our country is going to come out as in the next weeks and months. I'm not sure what will happen. But I do know this, as long as humans speak justice, as long as humans speak love, as long as humans speak life, the darkness will not win. And love will always out. So I'm going to speak to you as humans today. Every one of you. That I appreciate you. That I am blessed by you. And I am blessed by the ways you give your time and your talents. Here at the church and in the world out there. You are a blessing to me and to others. And I wish for you a very blessed day. May you know God's peace as you continue to speak with your voice for justice. Amen.